I started using drugs because I didn't feel like I belonged. If you don't admit that there's a problem there, then you're not going to be able to talk about it, deal with it. We're doing all this amazing stuff, and I feel empty inside. I feel gross. I feel guilt. I feel shame. I feel broken. And I'm like, what is life? We meet our guest today whilst he is on mental health leave. Not something only his friends and colleagues know about. No, he has it on LinkedIn for everybody to see. On top of that, we talk about addiction. So brace yourselves for quite the conversation. Stefan Kollenberg is the co-founder of Crescendo, a diversity and inclusion platform. He shares with us the journey from his first experience of addiction as a sports-obsessed teenager to joining a startup where he worked crazy hours, neglected looking after himself, and ultimately showed the same patterns, but with work instead of substances. He had to dig deep to see that this was driven by the need to belong, to be worth something. Invariably, Stefan ended up burning out, took some time off, and co-founded Crescendo. He was not expecting that, accelerated by the global pandemic, he would find himself dangerously close to burning out again. It took an intervention by his co-founders for Stefan to accept how bad it was, and this is where the mental health leave comes in. We draw parallels between entrepreneurship and addiction. Why do people go into entrepreneurship? What do the obsession that people apply to get the next hit and the obsession of people building a business have in common? What do guilt and shame and not being enough got to do with it? Stefan is now focusing on being better and finding joy in life. The things that helped on the way are the 12-step programs he's attended, ongoing therapy, and the fundamental recognition that you cannot do this on your own. Please meet Stefan. This is Naked by the Future Farm, where entrepreneurship is stripped to its vulnerable core. Brought to you by Vladimir Kobrestinska and Nectarios Lolios. And remember to subscribe, follow, and rate Naked to help us share it with the world. It's good to have you, Stefan. Hi there. <laughs> Thank you. Good and morning. hi, Nectarios. Good morning. Hi, Vladi. This time it's Canada, Slovakia, Slovakia. and the UK. Yeah. Amazing. It's the first time we have Canada. So yes. quite oh, exciting. I feel special. Yeah, you should yeah. indeed. Thank you. Um, Stefan, could you, sir, I wanted to actually ask you to locate yourself, which you already did, but could you give um, one sentence, two sentence intro for our listeners and then we'll deep dive? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Stefan Kallenberg uh, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, uh, originally born in Ottawa, uh, moved here about seven years ago. For myself, I'm a social impact entrepreneur. Um, worked my entire career in early stage startups and very, very passionate about mental health. Um, I, I've gone through um, the disease of addiction has been very present in my life, uh, dealt with mental health uh, around anxiety and depression as well. And so it's just been a very prominent, prominent part of my life. And uh, I like to talk about it and hear other people's opinions and experiences on, on how they've navigated it. 
Yeah, awesome. And thanks for coming on the show. I, I wanted to acknowledge it straight away. Um, you know, when I was preparing for our recording today, I was just like tra tracing back how we got introduced. And so shout out to our common friend, Aldo. Uh, and, and I was reading the message and basically went something like, I have it here. It went, hey, Vladi, I'd like to introduce you to Stefan, entrepreneur who is currently on mental health leave. And then when I went to your website, there was this sentence that also struck me, which is, hi, I'm Stefan, and I'm an addict turned entrepreneur. And those two things, one from Aldo and one you had lined sort of on your website, they both uh, were sort of a strong point for me. And, and I thought there is so much to unpack, even on those two big areas. Um, but before we do, could we go back and could you talk to us a little bit around when the when did you understand that the addiction and your relationship to drugs and drink was rather a symptom than the actual problem and how did that sort of impacted your entry point to entrepreneurship mm -hmm. that's a really good question um and a lot of people when they first hear addiction they automatically jump to like oh you had a problem with drugs and alcohol and i love the distinction there of a symptom because it, it really is what the disease of addiction is just, it's a, it's, it's a mental disease and it tells you that you're not good enough. It, it tells you that you need to be alone, that you can't deal with your, your emotions, your feelings. It, it's just a lot of toxic inner self self-talk. Um, and it, it thrives on forcing you to grab external things to deal with the, the problems or the challenges that you're facing internally. And so that was really mm. the, that's how I think about it. And, and that's my experience with, with addiction was that I didn't, I, I started using drugs because I didn't feel like I belonged. Um, and I, I was bullied quite a bit. I, I always felt out of place. I was a chameleon trying to change myself to be who, what other, what I thought other people would like. Um, and that led me to starting to use drugs and then that kind of escalated, uh, through there. But the moment where I realized that I think was really when I got into, uh, my, the first 12 step program that I was a part of, um, I started in Alcoholics Anonymous, um, and because that was the only one that I knew. Um, and it really, as I was working through the 12 steps, it really, focuses on understanding that yes you might have had a you you drank a lot you use drugs a lot but that's not the core of the problem here like once you stop those there's still a bunch of crap that you need to unpack deal with reflect on because there was a bunch of behaviors um learned behaviors over time um that led you to pick up a drink pick up a drug in the first place to numb yourself uh to get away from those feelings and I got clean early in my life. Like I got uh, like a week, two weeks after my 19th birthday is when mm. I stopped uh, using and, and drinking. And for me, my entire like high school, like early university, I didn't deal with emotions. Whenever things came up that were challenging, I would get high or I, I would get drunk. And so I had to learn essentially how to deal with, how to process emotions, how to deal with these. Like I, I would, I was just, it was so foreign to me. So when I stopped using those numbing agents, it was like, okay, well, I need something to pull on or to, to, to fill myself up. Um, and that's when it kind of started moving into entrepreneurship 
was that I found this external thing that other people put a lot of value in. Um, and I was like, oh, I can do this and I can do it well and I can start growing. And then that will make me feel successful, make me feel good. Um, and that was like, I think that that's come from a lot of reflection in the moment. That's not what I was thinking. I was like, oh, I'm getting into the startup world. Like I'm just, this is, this is exciting. It's cool. I get to, I, the first company I was with, I, I got to work with sports teams and travel. So I was like, oh, this is really exciting. But in, in retrospect, it was like, I was grabbing onto this external thing, pouring yeah. my entire life into it. Um, and then constantly enjoying the, I felt that I val. it felt like I validated my worth of like, oh, I I'm worth something to the world now. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's how it kind of shifted, uh, into entrepreneurship. Yeah. I was thinking very much of the self wars, um, and Nick Harris, I'm looking at your, your way, because that's something we've been talking together for the past two weeks together. We can talk about this quite a bit because mm. I, from a very different angle, um, I realized that I've got a lot of sense of worth through my public profile. And since I stepped back from my previous role, that has dropped a bit. Uh, quite a lot and and I was questioning okay what was this crutch because I should be deriving my sense of worth through somebody else so this resonates from a very different angle but I was curious because you described your journey from recognizing the addictive behaviors and then going through a program to help you with it and then going into entrepreneurship but the way you describe it was there an element of perpetuating some of these behaviors just not using the substances but actually mm. what what replaced drink and drugs. Yeah, absolutely. Like hundred percent. Like I would still go through cycles of, um, cause like when I was using, I went through, like, I would go through cycles with things where I'd like really enjoy it, really enjoy it. And then kind of like burn out of it, try something new. And th that was a cycle. And I would perpetuate that with, with many things, not just drugs, but also like, um, like just other forms of, of substances or addictive behaviors. And so when, I stopped. The first thing was I was working the program. I was uh, focusing on school and focusing on the gym. And so I actually became, I was at the gym six days a week, like an hour and a half long sessions, just work, like working out, working out, working out. And I was obsessed with like, Oh, I felt shitty about my body, my entire life. And I just want to look great. And I want to get pumped up. And like, this is like, it felt great. The endorphins, all these types of things. And I was like, Oh, it's healthy. Like, this is good. Like I'm working out. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's great. Um, and then maybe a year, year into that hurt my back deadlifting. Cause I was just at being, I was not having proper work. I was just pumped up. I was like, Oh, I want to like lift really heavy. And I, I hurt my back. Um, and then I started not going as much. And then I got pulled into, um, Uh, started getting into the startup world, started getting into some uh, some school involvement, and that just pulled me away, and I stopped going to the gym, so I kind of burned out of that. The next phase was um, I was very actively involved with like school politics, school societies, stuff like that, uh, in addition to working at a startup part-time. Um, so poured everything into those experiences, stopped really I, I kind of checked out of school. I was like, I don't really, I don't feel engaged. I don't feel super interested. Um, and I felt that I had wanted to focus more on the, the extracurriculars, the things outside, building my network, building my skills as a, like a partnership development uh, professional. Like that was what I was interested in. And then, and then shifted into the first startup that I worked at and worked there for about a year and nine months. 
um, traveled the world a lot. That, but that was the first like serious burnout that I hit. Cause at the time I was like, I, I still had school. I still had a few like student society things. And then I was working a full-time job. So it was like all three of those things at once. I can feel yeah. the heaviness because it's just, you can sense how yeah. much there is. And I wanted to kind of go back to it and, and reflect because it's something that, um, you know, I've experienced myself sort of, but I, we've been seeing around is that what is the real motive for people to actually go towards entrepreneurship, right. And towards the startup world, if I would say more so um, mm-hmm. when on that journey, did you sort of first time started asking yourself around why am I here? Like, why have I even decided to embark on that journey? Mm-hmm. The, so the first time I actually got into startups, I didn't really think much of startups. I, it wasn't something that I like dreamed of. I actually was, I dreamed of being working in the sports industry. Um, cause I love sports and I thought, okay, I'll combine my, um, like marketing background with sports and do sports marketing. But then I didn't want to, the, the, when going to like learning how to get into the industry, whatever, it was like, Oh, go sell tickets for a team. And I didn't want to do that. That sounded boring. Mm. And so I looked to, I found the, the university I went to Ryerson university has an amazing startup ecosystem and a startup incubator associated with the university. And so I came across this sports technology company. I was like, Oh, this is super cool. Um, and then started as an intern there. And so that was actually the first kind of pretty much my first step into entrepreneurship. Um, mm-hmm. I had done like joined like a side project thing before, but that was the first like real startup that I'd been a part of. And then mm-hmm. from there, what I, what I realized and when I pivoted to eventually leaving there and deciding to start my own um, startup with a, a couple other co-founders was that I loved solving really hard problems, but I wanted to have a positive social impact on the world because I felt that I was helping sports teams make money and it was cool. I was traveling the world, working behind the scenes with these teams, but it wasn't very fulfilling after a while. It was just like, uh, this is, this is not like, I don't feel great about like, what's the positive impact that I've left on the world. And like, I, yeah, I wanted to, wanted to do something different. And that's kind of, when I got into Crescendo and, and the rest. From what you shared right now, it actually feels like I feel like, quite, okay, first time it was sort of a passion towards the sport, right? It wasn't the entrepreneurship itself. And then later on the journey, uh, it seems like you were sort of more open to like, hey, I want to see entrepreneurship as a, this this force that drives positive change and the whole journey was crescendo, mm-hmm. right? So that yeah. that sort of feels like quite authentic and I can relate to that. Um, so, so what has happened there with the whole burnout? And then, yeah, I'm curious about their relationship to addiction. We can sort of unpack that more. Yeah, so for, for me with the like going back to the the first burnout that i had it was i think setting myself up um to be disappointed a bit like the 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 expectations i had placed on some other people um in at the the first startup that i worked at and the i think not being the greatest communicator of what was going on inside of me um, as i started to feel the struggle of being working like 16 hours a day, five and a half days a week, um, traveling to like, I traveled to Australia 
worked for like four weeks straight because we were working on a tennis tournament and it was like two and a half with the Australian open. And so I was working every single day for four weeks straight and not eating well, not sleeping well, like all of these things started to build up. But in my head, the biggest priority is like, oh, the company needs to continue to grow, continue to succeed. I have to do this well. And so it was that the, the thing that was motivating me was this like wanting to feel like I had worth by doing a good job and mm. everything else could be sacrificed in order to do that good job. But that mm. was not sustainable. Um, and I mean, that's, it's similar when we look back at addiction, it was like there, the, the number one goal became, Oh, I need to like find use like acquire drugs and alcohol to make myself feel better. And everything else could fall away and it didn't matter. It was just like, as long as I accomplished that, that one goal. And so I think it's interesting when we look at the parallels between addiction and entrepreneurship, because in some senses that like pure focus on one goal was very helpful. Like it, like, don't get me like it, it grew when, when it was like, Oh, we need to grow our revenue. And it was like, okay, Stefan, just go do that. Like we were, it was very successful, but it was not sustainable. It was, it was, it would take a huge toll on, on me my physical, mental, emotional health. Um, and yeah, it, it, it started to like, when I got into Crescendo, it started pulling away. Like I stopped going to meetings. Um, I stopped working the program. I didn't have a sponsor anymore. And so I started the, the things that had helped me recover in the, like get through the first couple of years clean, um, started to, I was deep, I deprioritized them. I was like, Oh no, no, I'm fine now. Like I, I did that. I don't need it anymore. I'm good. Like we can just move on and I can, I can deal with this, but um, it, it did not work. <laughs> and I burned out <laughs> yet again from like, it was, and it was just this past year um, where every, I mean, with everything happening in the world and the growth of our business, I was just, I, it, like everything, it also, it ties in this interesting stream of like having, I've been dealing with a lot of like guilt of being a white man and working in the diversity inclusion space Um, and trying to, it's something I've been working on with my therapist and trying to navigate. And I think a lot of people are trying to navigate this and because, because of all the the uprising that has happened this year. And like, I I definitely, I thought about it before, but it, it just became even more present, but that, that guilt and shame pushed me further into like, Oh, I need to keep, focusing on the business. This is how I'm having my impact. This is how I can use the, my, my privilege to help. Yeah. And Mm. that was like, for me, that became the mindset of like, okay, now continue to pour everything into this. Um, and yeah. And then that led to another series of burnout and which led to me taking, uh, that mental health leave, uh, about three months ago. Wow. Uh, this is a lot. Um, and, and listen, listening to your story, um, you talk about the signals that were there implicitly, right? So clearly when you go, when you're in this, when you work your 16 hours a day, when you walk your four, four, four months, four weeks of solid work in Australia, there are other things you notice and you push them aside. But at uh-huh. some point, these signals flip into an element of recognition. Are you aware, can you think back at the, the periods when you kind of reached that point and said, I actually need help because I've burned out? What was it that made those signals become loud enough or clear enough to you, for you to actually do something about it? 
Yeah, it's interesting with the first signal. There, I, I, I spoke a lot about some of the things that are happening inside of me. There's also some toxicity within that company as a whole. Um, but the first signal for me that kind of like really flipped the switch was like right after Australia, I moved to Boston to go through Techstars. And I was like living in a three bedroom apartment with the five people on the team continuing to work like every single day, like go to the office at 9, 8, like 8.30, 9am because it's breakfast there, stay until 9.30, 10 p.m and then go back home, sleep, and then repeat and do that for months and months on end. And then there's a few things that just broke inside of me when there was, there's a few things like one of my really good friends on the team had a disagreement with the co-founders and then the co-founders essentially were like, no, it's my way or like, like get out. And essentially then he left the company and the way they treated him after I, I saw him, he was like with me, like we felt like we had gone through the trenches together, getting underpaid, working on this mission, just being so passionate about helping solve the problem. And they like threw him away. Like he was disposable. Didn't even like when he was leaving, didn't even thank him. Didn't even say like, Oh, like, thank you so much for all the, like helping build our product, helping do this. It was just like, okay, bye. You're not part of our life anymore. And we're not going to talk about it. And it was just like disposable. It was like, he was a piece of disposable garbage. And I was like, that's not how I want to be treated that's not how humans should be treated mm-hmm. um and so that that flipped a huge switch inside of me and i was like what what am i doing like why am i sacrificing all of this for like yes i care a lot about the the company and wanting and like just i was very passionate about it but like that i why am i sacrificing all of this my mental physical emotional health for someone else's profit and then to get treated like shit um so that that was the big flip for me that realized like I need to get out of here and I need to take care of myself. And so I, I think kind of like a, a mirage got pulled from in front of my eyes of what I thought the company was and um, the people within it. So I think that was the big trigger. Yeah. Um, I, you mentioned the word guilt earlier in a very different context and I was listening to your tech sounds experience. Yeah. I started feeling an enormous sense of guilt because having built Startup Bootcamp, which is another big global accelerator, we fueled this behavior. We encouraged this. We we had people who moved from a different country into the program and they all shared a small apartment and they would go and come in the morning and then work late. And then, um, uh, ironically, I once had a conversation with one of the founders who came to me and said, look, we do this life. We have this life. We have four guys in a two-bedroom flat. And when I go back, I actually just want to chill I just want to kick back and not talk about the business because we live and breathe the business throughout the day. And I said to him, why don't you just talk to your co-founders? And he was like, I don't think I can do this. I said, well, just give it a go. And then that night he mustered up all his courage and he actually addressed this with his other three co-founders. And the first thing the other guy said is, oh my God, I'm so glad you said something because they all felt the same. Mm -hmm. They all felt this artificial pressure that was constructed by people like us to actually just perform. So it's a bit of a, of a kind of diversion, but it just felt it, you just pressed the button there when you were talking about, about your experience and how it affected you. Right. Because you forget that entrepreneurship with all the, the glamour that it's been kind of presented and sold to kind of young, impressionable people mm-hmm. is not all that. And it's not all just about burning the candle other midnight oil and all the other beautiful expressions, but it's also about looking after yourself, but you need it if that external trigger, right. To go, this is not good for me. So you walked away from it. Right. Mm. Yeah. And then I, 
walked into another startup seven months later and <laughs> founded it. Um, so, but like I, and I think the, my impression after leaving the, the first startup was like, oh, it is the, my identification of the problem was the individuals who founded the company. And that was like, oh, this is what I think is the problem. And so if I found the company and I do it with people who have similar values to me and we want to create amazing workplaces, that 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 uh, that burnout will go away. Um, and it doesn't. Um, it just maybe it lasts a little longer. Like the the phase before the burnout lasts a bit a, a little bit longer, but um, it was still there. Like if you don't take care of your mental, emotional, and physical health, like you're going to burn out. It doesn't matter how passionate you are. Like I, I've, yeah. Uh, and I remember there's like, there's different things that I would listen to. It was like, Oh, if you're passionate about something, you can never burn out. And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't Man. conscribe to the, <laughs> that belief. It's like, if you don't take care of your body, it's going to be deleted apart. from all internets and books and everything. <laughs> no, I would sign yeah. up to that. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm, 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 there are so many things I want to go back to the one around the guilt and the, also the sort of responsibility. I was just reading the book from Jerry Colonna reboot yesterday night and he talks about it. And I screenshot literally a page and sent it to one of the founders in Pakistan that we work with, who also told me once that, you know what, I just don't believe that I can one tell the other people because they would not, they won't be able to really deal with it. And I I'm, I'm there, you know, to solve that issue for them and take their responsibility as well. And that includes, co-founders, family, partner, whole entourage. I wanted to sort of go back into just let's stay for a little while around the comparison between your journey with the addiction towards the, the, the drink and the drugs and entrepreneurship. I'm curious, Stefan, what has the journey with the drugs and, and, and drink taught you on a positive terms, if anything, for your journey as an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. Another, another great question. So what really the, because if I go and I look at the um, 12 steps, like the first step is really acknowledging that you have a problem. It's like, yeah, and you yes. have to tell us more about the 12 steps because people might not oh, know. Yes. I don't know. Yes. Okay. Thank yes. You. Yes. So the, 12 steps are, there's a bunch of different fellowships. There's like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, uh, Codependency Anonymous, Food, uh, Sex and Love. Like there's a whole bunch of different, like whatever. There's a bunch of things you can be like, have those addicted tendencies channeled into. Um, yeah. But these programs, they all run 12 step programs where essentially it is been over, like, I don't know how long, probably like 100 something plus years, um, people have gone through and gradually adjusted and perfected, maybe not perfected, and improved these 12 steps of recovery to help guide people who have the disease of addiction through a program that will help them recover and live a, live a better life, mm -hmm. um, be, be better, um, address their, their problems and not need to use whatever the the form of, of addictive substance uh, is. And so that's kind of the, the purpose of the 12 steps. Um, but the, the first step is acknowledging that you have a problem um, and, and accepting that you can't control it, that you can't do this on your own. Like you've, you've hit, you've tried, like I have tried, I tried so many times to stop using 
to force myself to to step away and it did it didn't work um and evidently i mean even after i quit drugs and alcohol we can see like five and a half six years of continued patterns of grabbing onto these external things to help myself feel better and lo- try to love myself and just with fail um and so it yeah it's it's not something easy to to let yeah. go of but that's that's a big lesson is just like admitting that there is a problem if you don't admit that there's a problem there then you're not going to be able to talk about it deal with it find solutions like with anything um, if you, if you don't admit that problem or acknowledge what the problem is and find the right problem. I mean, it's when we look at like starting a business, my view is like, you don't start with an idea. You, you identify a problem and then you try to solve that problem through a series of assumption tests. And it's, I mean, it's the same thing with, with, uh, with addiction similar. It's like, you have to admit that problem and then move forward. Another, I think another thing that it has taught me, um, so the the fourth step of uh, the, the program is doing a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourself. And so this is do, taking like a very deep, hard look at what are all the resentments that I have? Uh, what am I afraid of? Um, what, how have I been hurt by others? Um, what do, like, where have I felt like I'm a victim? Where... Like where have I been abused or what's the, the, the sexual relationships that I've had and like the, the problems mm-hmm. that have come up there. But then after writing down all of these things, like a lot of them are like, I feel this way about something. And then it's like, okay, stop, take a second. And what was your part in that? Like, how did you contribute to this situation happening? Yeah. And that is such a huge thing. Cause I think like sometimes there's like this, I, this idea sometimes in startups that at least in my experience where it's like us against the world, if you're blaming a lot of other people for a bunch of stuff in your life, it's like, okay, well, what is my, my part in this as well? Like I'm, I, it's not a, a vacuum. Um, I am involved with these situations somehow. And so just being very honest with yourself. but I mean, that also the, the hard thing there is not being too hard on yourself and not like ripping yourself to shreds and being like, I'm a horrible person and I have no self-worth and I'm not great. Like it's, it's a very difficult balance. So I think that what the program has helped teach me is like finding that balance and is a constant work in progress of like, yes, taking accountability, being taking responsibility for the parts that I have played, but also there are things that other people have done that I couldn't control and that I didn't have influence over and they were not great. They weren't great things. And so I think it's just like finding that balance and acknowledging that. So I've done a lot of reflection on myself and working through that. And that has, has helped me in my entrepreneurial career as well. That like, cause the, the program instills values of honesty, open-mindedness and willingness. And like, those are values that I re- I work to live by and make a, a very conscious effort to live by. And that is what helped me be so successful at understanding problems. And then uh, being a, a salesperson that was selling something that would actually solve a problem um, and, and help people address a really challenging uh, thing within their companies. I'm glad I asked you the question because this was so rich <laughs> and there's so many lessons learned. Um, you know, the other way, I, and I always loved the question the, since the moment I found it, which is around like, how have I been complicit to the situation that I say I don't want to be in? I mm-hmm. find it so powerful and sort of like, it makes you feel naked first, like, oh my God, like overwhelmed. And I'm, you know, I've been seen now or I'm seen and then just facing it. All those lessons that you said 
felt like they should be integrated from really a high school that we should mm-hmm. go through those. Yeah. And then I, I mean, have plenty of other stuff to say, but I'll, I'll, I'll shut up for now. <laughs> I, I, I love that point because I honestly do think, and it's, it's interesting when we look at crescendo from an early stage, it was like, okay, how can we help people change their behavior to be more mm. inclusive, to be more open-minded and we actually, our first model of behavior change was based off of the model of behavior change of Alcoholics Anonymous. Like mm. there had been research done. Cause like, when you think about 100%. it, like there, like the amount of behavior change that I have seen in this program from other people is ridiculous. Like there's people who were addicted to meth and crack for 10, like years, years, and then cut it all off. They've turned their life around. They have a family. They have a full-time job. Like they, they went from being like addicted to some of the most addictive substances in the world, being in jails, working on the streets to having a family, being happy, loving other people. Like the amount of behavior change that these programs have created is outstanding. And so that was something that really led me to wanting to, it's like, okay, well, how can other people experience the benefits of this and like improve because it, yes, there, a lot of it is like specific to addiction and like dealing with these things, but there's so many lessons that go out beyond just dealing with, cause it's like learning how to be a better, like human? more fulfilled human. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like not only to yourself, but to others. And so mm-hmm. I think there's so many lessons that we can, we can take and pull. So I, I, I love that, um, oh. that you bring that up. Um, yeah. And I think also, I just, I wanted to go back and add, something to one of the last points I made around um, the, like looking at your place within the interactions. And I think there's Mm -hmm. also, there's like an interesting challenging to navigate lens when you put like racism and oppression on top of that. Um, And like you inspect it from like, yes, wanting to take accountability and being reflecting to also being like living within a system of oppression um, that has oppressed you and people like you for so long. So I think there's, it's like, when I share that, I'm also like acknowledging that I'm a white man and I've not really dealt with that. Like systemic racism has not negatively impacted me for the most part. Um, It's negatively impacted a lot of people in our society as a whole, but I think there's an important like thing to acknowledge there. And it's another hard, very deep, difficult thing to deal with and navigate. Like, I mean, it it not doesn't just have to be racism, could be xenophobia, like just any of these, these different isms um, and trying to feel okay. Like, yes, I need to take some accountability, but also like not victim blaming. So like these things are so hard to Mm. (laughs) navigate, but I just wanted to to mention that as a point. It's, it's funny you mentioned that. So I've gone through life going, Oh, I've been an immigrant all my life. Oh, I'm I'm gay. I've had all these minority experiences that I felt were negative. Mm-hmm. And then it was literally only with the BLM movement that I realized that no matter what my experiences were, I still have a ridiculous amount of white privilege because I'm a white man. It doesn't matter that I've got some other minority attributes because the mm-hmm. two key drivers in all of this, despite the slightly Middle Eastern face, has always been privilege, right? And then you start talking about this to your white mates, and they really don't like it. And you go, how is this possible? So, so no, this is really kind of, it's, I'm, the, the reason I mentioned this is mainly on the point of, you need to do some work on this. But even when you think you're kind of aware of it and you have had some sensitivity about it, some reflection, some empathy, et cetera, it's an easy trap to step into. And it's an easy, it's a difficult one to pull yourself out of. Your mental health leave. 
Please, yeah. please tell us about yes. that because that's still not very common for founders, you know, mm-hmm. like just to say and have the, I think you had it in your LinkedIn. Did you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So tell us about that. And I'm curious, particularly about that a relationship also to your co-founders and to your mm-hmm. team with regards to your mental health leave. Yeah. So this it's, it's, it's been building up for a while. So actually it goes back to last year, um, in 2019 October um, when we had been trying to fundraise there's a whole bunch of stuff happening in the business that was like increasing my stress levels and we were going through a pivot there's just a whole bunch of stuff happening and then I started exploring my sexuality and being like oh am I straight am I not straight and then so it's just like the intersection of all this business stress all of this like personal identity stress. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm a founder mm-hmm. of a diversity inclusion company. I need to know what my identity is. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, cause I was very public and talking about experience, mental health identity, all that stuff. I was like, if I don't know how to talk about this, then who am I? Like I, there was all this crap floating around my head and I, I was having a breakdown. And so then I started going to therapy um, after like I'd, I'd done therapy in the past, but started really like going full, full time to therapy, working through a lot of these things um, started on antidepressants. And so that was like a two, I took a two week break uh, in 2019. Um, and I felt great. I built all these healthy habits. I was getting my weight under control. I was like dealing with my mental health. I was like, oh, I feel so good. And so, and then we, we kind of, we fast forward um, COVID starts. And I, at this point we had like one, paycheck like one one two weeks of payables like to our employees left and like the, the business was like on the brink it was like very very close um to to everything shutting down so a huge amount of stress having to cut our salaries um all of these things but then the what happened with covid was that our product was a diversity inclusion learning tool a lot of the the piece was around digital learning for enterprises and then so first there was the wave of covid where okay all the workshops now can't really be done like there's virtual ones but they're not as good and so there's this huge shift to digital learning in the diversity inclusion space and then blm happened and there's massive prioritization of diversity inclusion so there's these two mega trends that started moving really fast and we were at the middle of that um, and I was, we had a, like a, a, a sales intern who was helping out, but I was pretty much the only like person selling to the, the enterprise category. And I was getting overwhelmed. Like my, if you look back, if I look back at my calendar, it's just like a brick of meetings, like from, cause I was also selling to the West coast. So it was like, okay, start my day at eight 30 and my day at like eight 39. And I would mm-hmm. eat breakfast. Like I, I went home to live with my parents for the first four months of the pandemic and they would like some days I would just like, it'd be like 2 PM and they're like, Oh, here's your lunch. And I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot to eat lunch. Like, Oh crap. Like, oops. And then like, like it would just be like, they would bring me food. And so this buildup of like business, personal stress, all of this kind of started culminating in me not being able to deal with my stress anymore. And it's starting to leak out and impact other people. And like, this was again, because I was not going to the program. I was not working my 12 steps. I was, didn't have a sponsor. I wasn't connected to other people and I was still doing therapy. But then one day in therapy, I was just like, I was telling my therapist, like, I wish I had a community of people who also dealt with the shit going inside their head. So I could just talk about it. And then I was like, Oh yeah, that's what Narcotics Anonymous was mm-hmm. for. 
for me. And I was like, I just had this realization. I was like, damn. Yeah. Like I thought I didn't need it anymore. I thought I was good and I was like, fine. And I was like, Oh no, I need this. I need to go back to this. And so I started, started going back to meetings. I was still working, working full time though. And then like, it just got to a point where I was like, just breaking down. I, I had called my co-founder one night um, tuba. And I was just like, I was like, just losing my mind. I was like, I was having suicidal thoughts. I was just like, I, what have, I was just having this big identity crisis. Cause I was like, we just grew our revenue. We've been growing our revenue 25, 30% month over month for like six months. We're, we're solving all these problems. We're doing all this amazing stuff. We had been, we we'd built this anti-racism learning pack and we were donating like $50,000 to charity because we had like, we, we, worked it out so that we could have like encouraged the enterprise customers that we were working with to buy this package, which would then fund uh, like a donation to charity. And so it was like, we're doing all this amazing stuff and I feel empty inside. I feel like, I feel gross. I feel guilt. I feel shame. I was like, I feel broken. And I'm like, what is like life? Like if I'm doing all of these amazing things, like what am I, why? Like if I still feel empty at the, like after all of this. And so I was just like, I was, yeah, I was not in a good place. And so after like there had been like conversations about my stress and like trying to like deal with it and try to improve so that I could like be a better teammate, these types of things. But then after that call, my co-founder talked to like a couple other people, like my other co-founder and people on the team. And, and they essentially had an intervention and he, like he, we grabbed lunch and he was like, Hey dude, you, you need to like take a break. Like you need to stop. Like this company can't kill you. Like we can't let that happen. Like your life is more important than this. And so that was, uh, that was a big moment um, for, for me, just like a recognition and uh, like allowing myself to step away and like try to take a break like that was hard because like we're in the middle of all of this i'm like i don't want to step away like i've got like deals with twitter and amazon in the pipeline like i don't want to step away from this like I, right now like we have to close these but then it's like if i don't step away there's always going to be another deal that i could close like you know it's it's not going to stop it doesn't go away i feel like we need to take a deep breath all of us <laughs> <laughs> just like because there's a lot honestly yeah yeah. Is there is there a difference between you realizing yourself I need help and going to join one of the programs as you did before, or your your mates, your co-founders, uh, the people who spend most of the time sitting you down and going, mm. you know what? Practically saying, and I'm being provocative here, saying you've been through this before and you managed to recognize it yourself, but this time we need to tell you because you're not seeing this. So I didn't, when I first got clean, I didn't recognize it myself, actually. With, with the thing that prompted me, I had, is, is interesting. This is a great question. Um, the thing that got me to get clean and go to these meetings was that I had one like really, really bad night out. A bunch of stuff happened. Won't get into the details, but it was just a very bad night. My roommates at the time who I was using with kicked me out of the apartment. They're like, you can't live here anymore. You have a really bad problem and you need to deal with it. And it was like, after the people that I use drugs with were like, dude, you have a problem. You need to like go figure this out. And that should like woke me up. I was like, Oh shit, who am I? Like looking in the mirror, strung out super, still super high. And then coming down and being like, what is my life? Like, what am I, who am, who is this in the mirror? I don't recognize this person. And so it was almost kind of similar where this external thing shocked me 
because it was like, oh, now my co-founders who I'm building this with, who were all in this, like invested in this together, the success of it is dependent on like continuing to grow and like be able to raise funding. They're telling me that I should take a break. I'm like, oh, maybe I should take a break. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, yes, there was a realization of like, okay, now that I had that external shock is like, rather than like, there's some, I, I know some people who have responded to that type of external thing with like, no, fuck you. I don't have a problem. Like, uh, mm-hmm. sorry for swearing. <laughs> um, um, and just like, I don't have a problem. I don't need to deal with this. Like go away. And like, they'll respond like that. So I guess I was, I, I'll acknowledge that I did have the awareness to be like, yes, okay. I do need to step away. This is like the thing that's like, this is my bottom. Like there's a saying in the programs, like your bottom is where you stop digging. And it's like, that was where my bottom was. I chose to stop digging and get help. Hmm. How are you today? How are you doing? I'm, that's, that's a good question. I'm doing better. I'm more grounded, more, um, more comfortable with what I, and like aware of what I want from life. Um, I, uh, like I, we were talking before we started recording about the morning routine and I am mm. loving my morning routine. Like I wake up at like seven ish. I go for a 30 to hour, 30 minutes, hour long walk. I have breakfast. Um, I'll do some like NA step work. I'll go to an NA meeting and now I'm learning how to dance. And, <laughs> and that's, that's pretty cool. Fun. So I'm just like, I'm finding like mm. my priority for moving forward is like finding joy like how can I find joy in my life and do the things that I want to do with my life and so that's been a really powerful sentiment and it's almost like shifting it's like what is the priority like what is that end goal that I want to get towards and it, it's kind of shifted it's more about like yes I want to be even more like, yes, I had talked a lot about mental health before I'd worked a lot on my mental health before, but I was still like, I think there's parts of it where I was still like halfway in, like I was, yes, like very, like very much into it and like working on therapy, like all of these things. But I think now I'm like fully on board, um, and like continue, like really invested in the program and I'm seeing all the benefits that, um, it is having for me and continuing to have. And so I feel optimistic about, where my life is headed um, and the, the, the habits that I'm starting to build and the practices I'm starting to build um, to live a healthier life mm. and also redefine like, what is, what is the goal in life is the goal to make money and be successful and blah, blah, blah. It feels like a beautiful place to sort of start wrapping up. Um, and I want to just thank you from a, and there was some call for an invite. <laughs> that was actually the, <laughs> the notification for my NA meeting at 10 a.m. So okay. <laughs> in half an hour. So, so you see, I was yeah. right. Um, yeah. But no, thank you so much. I mean, on a personal level, I wanted to thank you because I was coming and Nictarius knows because I, I talked to him before we started recording that today was sort of a tough day for me. And it was related to a co-founders and, and, and finding my own way. And one thing that you said, which was around that the first step is to admit that you have a problem felt that it actually lightened up on my end uh, because I think that's where I am uh, also myself and it sort of feels like you want to tear up even now <laughs> but I wanted to thank you for coming you know on air and just having this very honest conversations with us and what a beautiful journey you are on mm. thank you and 
Yeah, thank you both for having, or sorry, Nectarios, go ahead. No, that's okay. There's no sequence yeah. in this. Yeah. Um, I, uh, okay, yeah, I, I will thank you both for, for having me. This has, been, this has been fun. You've created a very safe and warm space to be able to have this kind of vulnerable conversation. And I've hosted a podcast for a long time, and I know it's not always easy uh, to do, especially considering the virtual world. So um, mm. very grateful for both of you to invite me on. It's been, it's been fun. Um, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. We, we try to create a safe environment. It's a cliche word, but we also, we know that our listeners really want to hear the different facets of what will affect them when they build a business, what can affect them and learn from it, right? And and you're very, I, I mean, I use this word probably quite too, too much on the podcast. This is more for Catherine and Vladi. Um, very articulate about what goes on in yourself because that recognition, that level of empathy you have with yourself and with others is really just heartwarming because that's that's what we want to also convey is you need to do some work on yourself and you have to start somewhere and having people share how they they had a point where they had to start that work and recognizing that externally or internally triggered right mm -hmm. is probably one of the big things because we also want people who are in the situation that you have put behind you to get some hope that there is a way out of this it's not it's not sudden there's no quick fix no. but you, you work on yourself and and that's why your story has been really inspirational and i'm grateful from that perspective thank you join us next week to reflect and digest you've been listening to naked by the future farm where entrepreneurship is stripped to its vulnerable core to learn more about our work Sign up to our newsletter or visit thefuturefarm.co, where you can also apply to be a Naked guest. Naked is produced by Dan Turgel and edited by Catherine Walker. And remember, subscribe, follow and rate Naked to help share it with the world. <laughs>